Continuing Education credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals is provided by VCU Healthcare Continuing Education. Check out cribsiders.vcuhealth.org for more information. The Cribsiders podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host. Welcome back to the Cribsiders. Well, hey! <laughs> There's the energy. So I'm Justin Burt, joined tonight by the loyal and faithful Dr. Chris the Chu Manchu and hey. two wonderful producers, Brian Ward and Dr. Jess Kelly. Brian, this is your first episode. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, Brian did a tremendous job of putting this together with the outstanding repeat guest and mentor, Dr. Jessica Kelly. Jess, how's it going? Good. Hey, everybody. Love to have you back, Jess. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you to turn it over to Chris. Awesome. So today our guest is Dr. Allison Heinley. Dr. Heinley discusses vaping and e-cigarette use in kids. But first, let's remind you about our show. Oh, yes. Well, we are the Pediatric Medicine Podcast. We interview leading experts in the fields to bring you clinical pearls, practice changing knowledge, and answer lingering questions about core topics in pediatric medicine. We have a fantastic conversation with our guest, Dr. Allison Heinley, who is a primary care pediatrician at Hasbro Children's Hospital. She currently serves as the Rhode Island AAP e-cigarette chapter champion, a role dedicated to education and advocacy around e-cigarettes. Today, she teaches us of what Juul is and how to counsel patients on vaping and how to not only spell, but diagnose e-volume. Make sure you guys catch this episode before it goes up in smoke. I would put a cloud joke in the script, but it would go over your head. Ah. <laughs> Allison Heinley, thank you so much for joining. Uh, this is exciting for us to talk about such an important issue in uh, vaping, something that is really being a hot button topic in pediatrics. And before we get into the content, though, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. Our listeners would love to get to know you a little bit better. And so can I ask, can you uh, introduce yourself, describe yourself? Sometimes we do it in a medical one-liner uh, terminology, if you'd like, but, but let us know something about you and maybe something outside of medicine that uh, is an interest of yours. Sure. Um, I am Allison. I'm a pediatrician here at Hasbro. Um, I ha- clearly have a strong interest in vaping. And I have two little boys and a golden doodle. Uh, and I recently became addicted to my Peloton, thanks to Jess Kelly, who's on the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jess Kelly uh, gave the Peloton as a pick of the week in trying to get people to use her referral link. Um, what's, the, uh, what's the name of the golden doodle? Cooper. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cooper the golden doodle. I'd love to ask you a question. Um, if you could give us kind of your best piece of advice that you have for trainees, Sure. So, so when I graduated residency, I actually went to private practice and I ended up finding that maybe it wasn't the best fit for me. And so I ended up making a career change after two years and coming to Hasbro, really realizing that I missed academic medicine and med education. And so I always tell all of the med students and the residents that are with me, like, make sure you find the career choice that's best for you. Like, go with what your heart feels like. Make sure you're passionate about it because then you want to come to work every day. You're excited to learn about it. And it's never too late to make a career change at any point. Uh, do what you love. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, we're so lucky you came back to academic medicine. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question is going to be a little different than I normally do, but because um, I think I'm going to steal Justin's question pretty much. 
what out of uh, current pop culture are you really digging right now? Ooh, current pop culture. Um, I probably, probably on TV, I've been watching a little bit too much TV lately. Let's see, what am I watching these days? Um, I just finished Mayor of Easttown on HBO. So good. That was a good one. Good. Mm -hmm. The Jersey yeah. accents. Yep. And I like to just binge, so I, I don't like watching shows that I have to wait a week to watch. So that was nice. Yeah. Jess, you want to start us off, dive into some content and give us our first case? Yeah, definitely. So we have Jewel E. Siggs. She's a 16-year-old female who's coming into Cashlack for a well-child visit. She's healthy and she doesn't have any acute issues. Um, so we'd love to hear your perspective as a pediatrician. How do you start a conversation with teens about vaping? Yeah, so I think the most important thing is you want to tell the teen or talk to the teen in a way that they understand, right? So they're not going to understand electronic cigarettes. So I'm going to say, do you vape? Uh, do you jewel? You want to kind of use the terms that they know best. And then really to make them comfortable, I'll usually ask about, you know, do you see any vaping at school? Are your friends jeweling? Before I really ask um, about their use. The other thing is we really start early. So like we'll start asking around age 12 because it kind of opens the door to these conversation. It makes them feel comfortable. They know what to expect every year. And then they can ask questions. So I think those younger kids hopefully are not vaping yet and they can really ask us, okay, like, what do you, you know, ask us questions if things have come up in their own lives. Um, and then I also always talk about confidentiality at the start of all visits because you really want to make sure that they know that you're not going to go talk to mom about this afterwards. And can you explain for us what is juuling or what is vaping? What are e-cigarettes and, and what's in them? Why, you know, t t teach me a little bit about juuling. Yeah, so Juul is like the most popular device out there, right? It's the most common e-cigarette. Um, and it really fits like in the palm of your hand. It looks like a USB drive. And it's super easy to hide at school. It's super easy to hide from your parents. It, it really mimics like a USB. And each of these devices really contain this e-juice. And the e-juice has things like water, um, flavoring, a humectant like uh, propylene gly glycol or um, vegetable glycerin. And then it always has nicotine. And what is interesting about these newer devices, so the newer generation of e-cigarettes, is they actually will use nicotine salt instead of the free-based nicotine that we're used to with conventional cigarettes. And that actually allows the user to um, get a greater amount of nicotine. It's like less irritation on the throat, so it's a little bit less harsher for the user, and it actually increases your addiction potential. So that was very smart of the tobacco companies. And then each of these devices, like Juul, they usually contain about like 200 puffs which is really the equivalent nicotine in a pack of cigarettes. So let me get this straight. So Juul is actually like a brand of things. There are like Kleenexes to tissue papers. When we use Juul, people like these days are sort of interchangeably using it for e-cigarettes. I guess I'm old, but I remember the days when people had these gigantic like e-cigarette pipes and they were like, you, you heard about all these hacking forms where they like juice them to like high voltages and stuff like that. Like, is that no longer a thing? And why is it no longer a thing? It's still a thing. It's definitely still a thing. So there are um, three types out there, and Juul just happens to be one of those most popular ones. Um, that's really like the closed pod system, right? So you have your device, and then you keep reusing that, but you kind of use these pre-filled pods that um, contain the e-juice versus what you're talking about is like that open refillable system. So those, you know, you pour your e-juice in, you can buy different flavors of e-juice, and those can be modified. You really can adjust them to create these different clouds, inhale different amounts of nicotine. And there's competitions now. Cloud chasing, this is a, a huge thing still. 
Um, and then you have your third type, which is the disposable e-cigarettes. Um, and those are becoming really popular. That, you know, you just use for one-time use. And same as like Juul, it has about 200 puffs, about the equivalent of a pack of cigarettes. And th those are really becoming more popular now. Similar to when you ask smokers, you know, how many packs a day do you smoke? How do you ask kids to quantify how much they vape? That's really hard, actually. So usually I'll ask them, you know, how many times a day might you be vaping? Do you feel like you have to vape right when you wake up? Sometimes that's a sign of more severe addiction. And there's also really helpful screens out there like the hooked on nicotine checklist. So we'll often ask these questions like, you know, if you've ever tried to quit, you know, do you feel like you really need that vape? Do you feel like it's been difficult to put it down? Um, things like that to try to, um, I guess, quantify their addiction. It's hard to say how much nicotine they're getting, though, because every user inhales a little bit differently. It's hard to say how much nicotine they get. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned is that a lot of the e-cigarettes have flavors. And I know some of those flavors even had bubble gum or things you would commonly associate with being marketed towards children. And then those were banned, was my understanding. But it seems like they still talk about it. You see advertisements that there are still flavored e-cigarettes. Can you talk about the flavoring e-cigarettes? And I know this is a policy discussion. What's, this, what's the update? What's the story on flavored e-cigarettes? Yeah, so flavored e-cigarettes were banned by the FDA in early 2020. And what it did is it banned all flavors except for menthol for the, like, the pod-based devices like Juul. So it really excluded all your disposable cigarettes. It excluded all of the devices that use the e-juice, which is a huge proportion of devices out there. And so that's, I think, why probably a lot of the disposables are becoming more popular among kids. And we really know that the flavors are the reason that kids initiate use. It's, they often report that as the primary reason they're using. Um, and it's really appealing to them, right? Like it's colorful packaging. They've got flavors like creme brulee and other desserts and sodas and candy. Um, they look like Sour Patch Kids. Like it, it looks fun and like what kid wouldn't want to try that? I think if we really want to curb this epidemic, we really have to think about banning all flavors for all devices. And then the FDA actually recently promised to issue some new rules banning the sale of menthol flavored tobacco products within the next year, which I think is really, really important and huge um, because menthol really disproportionately affects our communities of color. And this is really due to like targeted advertising by these tobacco companies to these communities, specifically for menthol brand. Wow. And so it sounds like there is some evidence that suggests those flavored colors are some of the reasons kids will initiate on to e-cigarettes. Is that correct? Definitely. Yes. Oh, I was going to say that I've heard that vaping can be kind of a gateway substance that people were use, using. Is there any evidence that if you vape, you're going to go on to use other substances? Yeah, so um, studies are definitely showing that if you vape, you're actually about three and a half times more likely to go on to like the combustible, those conventional cigarettes. Um, and they've also shown studies that show that you have the increased risk of later doing marijuana, um, smoking or vaping. So definitely a gateway. And when you had mentioned vaping with marijuana as well, are most of these devices modifiable so that you can put in marijuana or how does that work? How are kids using the e-cigarettes to smoke marijuana? Yeah, so some of these like refillable ones, the ones where you can add your own e-juice, those can definitely be modified. Um, there's lots of different ways to modify them yourself. You can like YouTube it, which is unfortunate. And so they, you can also buy specific devices for that online. And is there any evidence or suggestion of like secondhand e-vaping? Is that 
um, something that we don't have to worry about with e-cigarettes? Or is is there any preliminary evidence that this is something that might have more of a communal effect, not just the individual? Yeah, so I, we don't have a lot of like specific health effects yet, right? Because it's still really short term. I think with more long term data, hopefully we will. But I think the secondhand aerosol, it definitely contains the nicotine. It contains um, the flavoring, the propylene glycol, all those same chemicals. And so when they do look at users with combustible or e-cigarettes, those in the room have similar levels of cotinine, um, which is a measure of nicotine. So you're getting a similar amount of nicotine for an e-cigarette exposure secondhand versus a combustible. And then the third hand, they definitely have found nicotine on all of the surrounding surfaces and the clothing of the user. So that's definitely there. We just don't know yet what that's going to cause. Sort of going on with sort of other health effects uh, coming from vaping. You know, there I remember clearly from a couple of years ago, all these reports about like them exploding and things like that. Is that a concern as well? Like that we still have to worry about in these, these cases? Yeah, I mean, definitely explosions are happening still. I think it's really because of the lithium battery that um, they contain. And there have been several deaths reported from that. So I think still a scary thing. I also always worry about like the solution itself. Like how do we safely store that? Because even less, like less than half a teaspoon can really be fatal to a young toddler, just ingesting or even contact with the skin. So that's another kind of health effect we don't always think about. And is that mostly because of the nicotine itself? Yeah, that's the nicotine. Yeah. And then like other health effects, you know, I think it's hard because it took us decades with combustible tobacco to really figure out what are the harms for us. So far, clinically, we know for teens, at least, you know, they do have increased risk for cough and wheezing, increase in chronic bronchitis symptoms, and there are some increase in asthma exacerbations they've found. And I think most importantly, with the nicotine, definitely, you're going to see like very high risk of addiction, right? And so, and we know that younger kids who get addicted, it's harder for them to quit in the future. And it also really affects the developing brain, right? So it really is going to affect certain parts of the brain like mood and um, learning, um, which can really, I think, affect these kids as they're growing. Um, the other thing I always think about as well is what's in the aerosol itself. So you're really inhaling these ultrafine particles, these volatile organic compounds, and then these aldehydes, which include things like acrolein and formaldehyde. And those are cardiovascular toxins that have been proven for combustible tobacco to be harmful. Um, and even the coil itself is a heavy metal. So it's either like tin or nickel or lead, and you're also inhaling that. So all of these things in your lung, like we don't know exactly yet, but we will find out very soon, I'm sure, um, what these will cause in the future. So it seems like there's a lot of side effects to vaping. So how might you approach the topic of quitting with an adolescent in your clinic? Yeah, so I'll often think, you know, talk to them a little bit about like, what do you like about vaping? What do you not like about vaping? Kind of using those motivational interviewing skills. And then sometimes I'll say, you know, have you thought about cutting back? You know, I had a teen the other day that was like, you know, I feel like this got out of control during the pandemic. And he used the words, it feels like a burden now. And so that was like a great opportunity to say, okay, like, let's help you quit. And so that's usually where I'll start. And then I'll kind of see, are they ready today? Like, are they ready soon? So usually you want to pick your quit date within two weeks to a month. So are they really ready today? And if they're ready, we'll start. And we'll, we'll you can talk about that in a moment about what we do to help them quit. And if they're not, then I definitely keep bringing them back for follow-up because some people aren't ready yet. But, you know, it's been proven that motivational interviewing does lead to future quit attempts. So super important to, to keep asking about it and talking about it. 
Can you talk a little bit about what motivational interviewing is and some of your strategies or some of the phrases you use to get to some of those questions? Sure. Yeah. So I think you always want to kind of find out from the teen again, like, what do they like about it? What are they, why do they use it? You want to really make the messaging that you're using really clear, really personalized. Um, and you just want to always be kind of listening and then kind of saying, you know, oh, it, it sounds like this is really affecting your relationship with your mom or whatever. And it sounds like this, you don't really like the flavors, you're, but you want to fit in with your friends, you know, kind of giving that reflective listening. And then I also, you know, you can use your scales a little bit. So you can say like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how difficult do you feel like it would be to quit today? You know, something like that. Um, and I kind of meet them where they're at a little bit. Um, if they're not ready, we might just cut back a little bit or we might just say, okay, well, like, what place do you feel like on the scale we could get you to so that we could have this conversation about quitting? I, I always love the scale a lot. And I, I think that's one of my favorite ones to, to share is the, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to, to stop smoking or stop vaping? And when they say four, asking the follow-up question of why not a three? Mm -hmm. And it forces them to say the positive things about quitting or some of those negative things that you mentioned about it, the relationship with my mom. It's also a great opportunity too for the kids that say no on your screening to vaping to, to really affirm that and say, wow, that's really amazing that you don't vape. Can you tell me a little bit about why? And just like really affirming their decisions um, and supporting that. I think that's a good opportunity. I try never to miss that. Quick question. One, one angle I, I often go with, at least with smoking, is that smoking is really expensive. I don't know anything about Juul and these stuff. I, are they expensive? Is that is this a is this a, a way we can go at it or not? You Are they cheaper get, than the cigarettes? Yeah. You can get them pretty cheap. Um, oh. You can like five dollars for a jewel, um, like pod. You know, it, it can it can be very cheap. The disposables are pretty cheap. I definitely for parents when I I often help parents quit smoking as well. So um, a lot of times I'll I'll use that economic burden a little bit to because that usually helps with uh, the parents at least the kids. They get them from friends at school. It's a little bit more difficult. At least I've found yeah. And so let's say you have someone who is who is in the contemplative phase of change or, or planning. They're saying, it is a burden now. Dr. Allison, I am ready to quit, but it's tough. Are there things that we can do to kind of help treat the addiction? Like, is it similar to tobacco cessation where, where we can offer nicotine replacement? And if so, what's kind of the strategy or, or what are the options that we have? Yeah. So I think first we want to always support them with some of these cessation support services. So there's some really great ones out there for, for teens. You always have your state quit line. So in Rhode Island, we're lucky that they'll counsel teens um, down to 13. And it's really dependent on what state you're in. Um, and then there's great websites out there and text to quit programs from the Truth Initiative has a really great program called This Is Quitting. The NAH has one called Smoke Free Teen. So those are really good um, programs for the teen to go to when they're having those cravings, when they want to come up with a quit plan. I think those are awesome. And then, yes, we can totally use nicotine replacement. And in adults, it really shows, you know, these pharmacotherapy options, they double your quit rate. So this is huge. Um, and it is off-label, I'll say that. So it is not um, FDA approved under 18. But the AAP has really come out to say, you know, this is effective in adults. Smoking is harmful. And, you know, this is really important for teens. And so they really are supporting pediatricians treating off-label for teenagers. Can you describe a little bit on exactly how you would approach that? Like, oh, how many Juul pods do you smoke a day? So I'm going to use this dose of patch or, you know, like what, yeah. how, how do you approach that? Yeah. So um, what you want to do definitely to start out with is you always want to use your nicotine patch with a short acting. So your long acting and your short acting, and that's really going to give you the best outcome. 
So I always start out with the patch. And I always tell pa like patients or parents that you really just want to make sure, A, you start rotating the site because you don't want to get some skin irritation. They also sometimes will have some insomnia. So if they're a kid that has trouble sleeping, they might want to take it off at night. Um, and then you're going to start with, you know, there's a couple doses out there. You can start 21 milligrams, 14 milligrams, or the 7 milligrams. And for cigarettes, it really depends on how many do you smoke. So if you're smoking greater than, you know, X number of cigarettes a day, that's where your dose is. That's hard to kind of equate in e-cigarettes, right? Like we don't know the equivalent pods per day. Sometimes you can judge. So if they're smoking over a pod per day, I can safely say they are smoking at least a pack per day, um, which is about 20 cigarettes. And so that would put me up at that 21 milligrams. You can also use your hooked on nicotine checklist, which is really helpful to look for moderate or severe addiction. And so for severe addiction to e-cigarettes, you would start at that 21 milligram dose. And then for moderate, you're going to start at that 14 milligram dose. And then you'll do that initial one for six weeks. And then you step down to the next one for about two weeks and then the following one for about two weeks. So we try to use that for gum. You could do the gum or the lozenge for your uh, short acting one. And the, those doses for both are four milligrams or two milligrams. And again, it's that severe addiction versus moderate addiction. Or for cigarettes, it might be when you first wake up, when do you use? Do you use it within 30 minutes or do you use it with after 30 minutes is how you typically will dose that. But you can cut the gum in half. So if they feel like it's too much, cut it in half. Um, same with the patch. If they feel like I'm getting too many side effects from this, I tell them, call me. We can go down on the dose, no problem. A couple things for the gum. I usually just let them know that they really want to, you chew it. You want to make sure that um, you feel that tingle and then you park it in your gum um, and right by uh, your gum and cheek. And then you're going to wait like 30 seconds to a minute, chew, tingle, park it somewhere else. You just always want to move the site that you are using it on because that can cause a little bit of irritation. Same for the lozenge. Just move it around in different spots of your mouth and don't chew it. And then the one um, fun tip that I always give is the flavors of the gum are super important. The plain is disgusting. And I've had patients say, this is terrible. Um, what did you give me? So I always tell patients, make sure you ask for a flavor like they have mint, they have fruit flavors, um, something not plain. That's awesome. Um, as a pediatrician, do you ever prescribe nicotine replacement for parents? And are there things that you should be looking for to ask parents who might not be healthy enough to like tolerate nicotine replacement? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think it's super important to talk to parents about their smoking, right? Because this is really affecting the teen, affecting their younger kid. Um, so I prescribe for parents all the time, right? They see you probably more than you. they actually see their own doctor, right? Especially for those younger kids. We see them every two to three months. Um, and so it's a really great opportunity that we have to help them. And some of them don't have their own doctors or they may have a trouble with access to care. So if we can address that problem for, I think it's really important the other thing is sometimes it can be cost prohibitive. So like it can cost $70 for a pack of gum. And so if I can give the parent a prescription and they can get that for free, they're definitely more likely to try it. I have a lot of families that I've prescribed for. And I have to tell you, like, that's one of the most rewarding things for me is like the parent is so excited to try to quit smoking. And then they come back and they are so incredibly happy that they quit. They're so grateful. And I, that makes me feel like I've really made a huge difference for that kid who now is not exposed to that for the rest of their life. So for me, that's one of the most rewarding things that I do. From, from my personal experience, I, I have found that prescribing helps a lot for depending on the insurance. And I definitely have some patients who don't have good insurance coverage. I don't know. Have you used like GoodRx or some of these other coupon type places? I've, I've seen they can get some prices down pretty well for, for nicotine replacement as well. 
Yeah. So actually, if they don't have insurance, the quit line is perfect because the especially I, I don't I can't say for every state, but for Rhode Island and Mass, um, you can actually get free NRT if you don't have insurance. So I refer all my parents that don't have insurance right to the quit line for their free packs. Yeah. That's a great option. Very cool. And then I know, Jessar, you asked earlier about any contraindications kind of to this. There's really only maybe four contraindications. So you really just want to make sure that they do not have any severe arrhythmia. You want to make sure that there is no new acute myocardial infarction within two weeks and then no severe or worsening angina, which that sounds legit. So I asked the three, the, those three questions. And then the only one that's kind of a question mark is, are they breastfeeding or pregnant? So that I think is a personal choice whether you want to prescribe to those patients. I personally, I tend to defer to the OB in those cases um, or after delivery, then I'll start uh, doing the NRT at that point. But um, those are really the main ones, which are pretty easy to remember. I think the advice on the parking and moving around their gum is such a good one because I, I don't know how long I went just thinking it was normal chewing gum. Oh, um, yeah. If, you, if you're not using it right or if you're not using that combination, it's not going to work. And they're right. like, no, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. You're like, well, let's try to do it right and see what happens. Yeah. One other treatment, obviously, for adults is is the pharmacotherapy. Are these treatments being used at all in kids, suggested in kids? Is there... Any guidance on that? Yeah, so you can use bupropion in kids, right? So that you can use, you know, 14 and up. And sometimes I consider using that if I have a kid who's also depressed. So I think that's a good combination. Um, and so I'll use that in that case. I don't use it very often because I have pretty good success with NRT and that's really over the counter. So I feel like it's a little bit safer for me personally. Shantix you can use also in teens, but I think probably that's my last line um, option. And I haven't personally prescribed that myself. When you're using bupropion, are you using it as you would instead of like a patch and then still give them some sort of PRNs, whether it's a lozenge or a gum or something on top of that? Yeah, you can always do the gum or the lozenges on top of it. I typically won't do the patch on top of it, but um, you can definitely do it for cravings. And then the only difference with bupropion is you really want to, um, you're not quitting when you start the medication. You're really quitting in your second week of therapy. And so that's important to remember. Are there any other alternatives, things they can do? Like, does hypnosis work? Like, should we start, like, like scoping, like, the classifieds to find some um, <laughs> people who do hypnosis? Or, like, are, like does meditate? Like, are there other things that they can do outside, like, pharmacology and NRT? I'm sure there are many other options out there, definitely. You know, um, I've definitely heard of hypnosis. My dad actually tried that to quit smoking. I can't say it was helpful for them. But um, I, I don't know the evidence behind that as much. And really, those are the seven, there's, you know, seven pharmacotherapies that are really recommended um, by the public health service. Um, and that's really your nicotine replacement therapies. There's five of those options, and then the propion and the varenicline. So, you know, I don't think there's a ton of evidence that shows those other options work. But I think other people, you know, like to try different things. It's totally fine to support them. You know, I support them in anything they want to do to try to quit. Um, I never say no to anything. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, this sounds like you treat it like any other tobacco use disorder or the equivalent of smoking in a lot of ways. Is that a safe way to kind of view this? Is that this is not that different than if a 15-year-old is telling you they're smoking cigarettes? Definitely. I, th I equate the two. The nicotine is just as bad for both. So I think both terrible. And I think I worry a little bit more with the e cigs because I know they can go on to combustible cigarettes. Yeah. When we're talking at something like the nicotine replacement, whether it's patches or say this to propion, is there evidence for longer term treatment? Can people be on this for like a year as we're, I mean, do, do you ever yeah, have I, people on it for longer? I don't know the answer to that. I'll be honest. Um, most of the time it really is about eight weeks of treatment, sometimes 10 weeks max. And then they've really quit for the patch at least. 
the gum sometimes they'll use maybe for three months or so before they fully come off, but they kind of gradually weaning themselves down off the gum. So I'll, I'll be honest, I rarely have people that are on it for longer than three, maybe four months max for the gum. Are there any other vaping practices or names that you've heard of that you wanted to share with us? I've heard of like what, what do they call it dripping on the and dabbing <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of names out there, and I'll be honest, I am not cool enough to know all of these names, right? Like cloud chasing and dripping and dabbing, and there are so many, and I just feel very uncool when I hear all these because um, I don't know them all. And so most teens respond to vaping and juuling, which is good for me, but I do think it's good to know about these. And sometimes I'll just say like, Hey, what does dripping mean? Can you tell me about that? If they say that they do it, like, tell me what that means, you know, teach me about this. Um, because I don't know. All, there's just so many different terms out there. So it seems like there's some controversial evidence in adults in terms of using vaping and e-cigarettes as a way to quit smoking combustible cigarettes. Is there any data in kids that says we can use this to help kids who might smoke regular cigarettes? Yeah. So the data in adults, I think, is very controversial. Like you said, you know, there are some studies that show it, some studies that show maybe this isn't the best idea. I think for kids, we can clearly say this is not an option. Like, do not recommend e-cigarettes for kids that are smoking. Um, we really don't want them to get hooked on that. We want to get them off of nicotine. Um, so I would say never, never get a kid, give a kid a vape. Yeah. Good to know. We will not do that. <laughs> With so much going on in the past year with the pandemic, and especially with the lung pathology of COVID-19, is there any evidence on how this is affecting individuals in the pandemic, or is it exacerbating other health issues, be it COVID, you mentioned asthma, pneumonia? What, what, what's the link between some of the other hospitalization reasons, including COVID and, and vaping? Yeah, so we do know that vaping um, does affect your COVID risk, at least. So there was a recent study um, that showed that young people who ever use e-cigarettes were about five times more likely to be diagnosed with COVID. And then those who smoked both combustible and e-cigarettes, so that like dual use, they were about seven times more likely um, to be diagnosed with COVID. So we don't know if that's, are these kids like in a room together getting their COVID on or are they, is it the hand to the mouth? Is it sharing devices? Like we're not totally sure, but we do know that they're definitely at risk for getting it. There's not a lot of data yet about how does vaping affect your COVID severity, but we do know for smokers, there's definitely more severe outcomes for those that have COVID and have and are smokers. And you've mentioned the dual use a couple of times, which I admit when you say it made sense, but I didn't realize, is there a large prevalence of people who are both vaping and using traditional cigarettes? Um, there are definitely a lot of young adults, kind of those like older teens, early 20s are doing a lot of dual use. Um, and they'll go back and forth or they'll they'll be doing a little bit of both. When I was going through high school, I had I had a lot of um, friends who dipped and did that. So, was, you know, other types of tobacco products, too. Is there also prevalence with that as well? I think those are definitely less common now, but but they are, you know, I think people that are trying and are more likely to try these things are definitely going to try the other options as well. Right. Hookah is really big right now. Um, e-hookah is uh, another thing that's out there now. So they're definitely going to try these things. These impulsive teens that do one thing are definitely going to try another. So Julie comes back uh, to the Cashlack Urgent Care and she is not looking well. She's telling you she feels really short of breath. She has some flu-like symptoms. And she says that she's been vaping daily since you last saw her. Um, so should we be worried about E-Valley in this case? Yeah, definitely. I think anybody that presents with flu-like symptoms and has this history of vaping use, you always want to keep that in mind. And I think that's another point. You really want to think about that in somebody with those symptoms. Always ask about their vaping use. 
And really for E-Valley, you may come in with cough, shortness of breath. They might have pleuritic chest pain. But they also tend to have the fever, chills. Um, sometimes even a lot of GI symptoms will develop, like abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And so, I mean, these really mimic what, like COVID, the flu. And so sometimes it can be hard to differentiate. So ask about their vaping use. Yeah, every time. Wait a minute. What, what does E-Valley stand for? Oh, yeah. E-cigarette or vaping-associated lung injury. I always have to think very carefully when I'm saying it. <laughs> is there a common illness script? You mentioned the things that it presents with, but how long does it last? Is it a one-day thing, a two-day thing, a two-week uh, encounter? Is there a peak? Is it like bronchiolitis where day of illness four is the worst? Is there a common kind of progression of the disease? So it's really different um, for different people, right? So some kids have really mild symptoms and they can go home um, right away. Some kids, you know, they really progress into respiratory failure and they need mechanical ventilation. And I don't think we know enough yet. There's no like trends that we can really see because, you know, since February 2020, we've only had maybe about 2,800 cases reported. So it's just not enough, I think, that we know the full disease course fully. Um, there's still a lot to learn. How do you go about diagnosing kids with E-Valley? Yeah, so it's hard because this is really a diagnosis of exclusion. Uh, you want to rule out your other things. So you want to think about bacterial pneumonia, think about flu. So you're going to do your RPP. You might, you know, you're always going to get a chest X-ray. Um, on chest X-ray, you might see some haziness. You might see some consolidation. It could be negative, but you're, if you're really concerned, you want to actually get a chest CT. Um, and that's where you're going to see your diffuse bilateral ground glass opacities. Um, but it's hard. I think you really have to rule out these other things before you even consider E-Valley because you don't want to miss like a bacterial pneumonia, right? And is there a knowledge of the pathophysiology? I mean, it sounds like it's an interstitial lung disease, almost like a, uh, the pneumonitides or, you know, the inflammation. Is there something that's just leading to this inflammation or is it something that we don't know? We just know if you're, if you're vaping, this can happen. Yeah. I don't think we know enough yet, to be honest. Um, and we're just figuring out maybe what causes it, right? So we think maybe it's this vitamin E acetate, which is an additive um, found in e-cigarettes, mainly associated with THC. But we don't know. We just don't know enough. Yeah. And, I, and some um, people are using glucocorticoids to treat, but really there's not even enough evidence to show that that's really effective. Um, I think we just need more information. Yeah. And that vitamin E additive, is it? you said it's also with the THC. Is that something that people often add when they're adding marijuana or how does the vitamin E get in or is it for marijuana specific pods that you were talking about? Yeah. Vitamin E acetate's an additive that's really specifically in THC containing vaping products. So the majority of people who have, who at least we think have e-volley reported THC use. And so they found that in, in those cases, they also have done some like bronchioalveolar lavage and, and found that additive in there. But there were plenty of people that also said that, no, I didn't vape THC. So is it in other like vaping devices? Maybe. A lot of the vaping devices they found were also like from a friend or off the street or online. And so, you know, we don't totally know what's in those either. They were, they were just holding it for a friend. They were holding it yeah. for a friend. <laughs> um, what about prevention? Are there ways to prevent a volley from occurring? Of course, don't vape, right? So like, do not vape, period. Um, that's hard. So like, you know, if, if a teen really doesn't want to, you really want to talk to them about cutting back, obviously. Um, and then really, sometimes I'll say, well, like, be sure that you're not vaping THC containing products. We know that that may be, may be linked. Um, I'll also say, I don't want to say this to a teen, but sometimes I'll say, like, make sure you're getting it in a safe place, right? And you're not getting it from a friend or off the street. 
but I really just push them to quit if they're ready. Um, yeah. So don't vape, then you will not definitely not get it. <laughs> and sorry, sorry if I'm uh, confused and misunderstanding, but the, the vitamin E additive, is that if how how does that happen? If I go to like a dispensary and buy THC for an uh, e-cigarette, or is there just some street marijuana that is adulterated with this vitamin E? Yeah, I I think it's just a chemical and additive that's in that solution. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. So if Jess goes out and buys marijuana, she's probably fine. You'll be fine. Jeff. How will I vape it though without my vitamin E? <laughs> <laughs> um. So we talked a lot about kind of identifying vaping use, counseling vaping use, treating vaping use, some of the complications of vaping use. What, what are the main take-home points that you think our listeners should kind of walk away with about, about e-cigarettes and vaping? Yeah. So I think it's just important to ask teens, like ask everyone, ask at your well child, ask at your sick visits, um, and ask them about their use because you may surprise you, majority of teens want to quit. So I think, remember, you can help them quit. You um, can really help them and you can help their parents too. So I always put that plug in there. Uh, the other thing is with e-volley, like just keep it in the back of your mind always, especially with those kids with the flu and the COVID-like symptoms. Don't forget about e-volley. We're still seeing cases out there and ask about their vaping use. Is there anything that you would like to plug or any resources that you'd like to share that we can send our listeners to? I always love the Truth Initiative. I think that's a really awesome website. It has a lot of good information for teens. Um, and then just keep in mind Tobacco 21. So, you know, that is a federal mandate, but it really is dependent on state regulation. So check and see if your state has Tobacco 21. In Rhode Island, we're working on that right now in our legislation. So um, take a look online and see if, if you can do anything in your state to help. Can you tell us a little bit about Tobacco 21? Yeah. So, you know, federally, they raised the age to be able to buy cigarettes and e-cigarettes to 21. But each state is so different. And so them enforcing it... Um, is really dependent on their own Tobacco 21 laws. And so really, I think there's about, I want to say like 37, 38 states that are done Tobacco 21 already. Rhode Island is really hoping to get it done this year. Um, and there is, you can look it up, Tobacco 21, see if your state's done it. And, and you can write to your, you know, your Congress and your state, like write to your senators, write to your House representatives, and they really want to hear from you. Tell them about your patients that you've helped. Uh, and I think it really does. It works wonders. Like really, you can make a huge impact just by talking to them. Well, Allison, thank you so much for, for taking the time. We're, we really, really appreciate your expertise um, and sharing it with us. Um, I think this is going to be a great episode. As I learned a lot. Uh, and, and thank you for, for coming on. This has been wonderful. Yes, awesome. Thank Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of The Cribsiders. It's for the kids. Get show notes and sign up for our weekly Knowledge Food Formula Feeds newsletter on our website at thecribsiders.com. We are committed to providing you with high-value practice-changing knowledge, and to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast player. You can also email us at thecribsiders at gmail.com. A special thanks to our producers for this episode, Brian Ward and Dr. Jess Kelly, and our wonderful social media team for all the work that they do every week. I've been Justin Lee Burke. I've been Brian Ward. I've been Jess Kelly. And this has been Chris the Chew Manchu. Thank you and good night. See y'all. Hey, you've already listened to the entire episode. Now claim CME credit. Continuing education credit is provided by VCU Healthcare Continuing Education. VCU is accredited to provide continuing education to the entire healthcare team. Check it out at cribsiders.vcuhealth.org for more information and to claim your credit after listening to this episode.